Welcome. I'm Chris Krabs, co-chair of the Aspen Commission on Information Disorder. Thank you for joining us. This session is part of a series of briefings on myths and disinformation hosted by the Aspen Institute in tandem with our uh, Commission on Information Disorder. We're talking to top experts in the field who can help us make sense of the various facets of the information crisis. These are designed uh, as a resource for our commissioners and the broader public. We hope you find this series, uh, which we're calling the D disinformation discussions, both useful and informative. In today's episode, I'm speaking with John Poulos. John is the uh, president and CEO of Dominion Voting, a leading industry supplier of election technology across the United States. Dominion is one of several providers of uh, election technology in the United States, but in the immediate aftermath of the 2020 presidential election, they soon became a target of rampant disinformation as the big lie began to take hold. From vaccine distributors to 5G and now election vendors, the commercial sector and brands uh, are quickly finding themselves in the crosshairs of disinformation campaigns. We've seen these conspiracy theories creep up in the far corners of the internet and quickly take hold, moving themselves into the mainstream and causing significant damage. Is John knows far too well, business executives must now be on high alert and play an active role in preventing disinformation from spreading across their own companies in order to maintain trust in their brand. Because once you've lost trust, it's difficult to get back. All right, John, well, thanks uh, for being with us here today. The effect disinformation has had on your own company is, is hard to understand. Uh, I think we, we both kind of saw this play out in real time and, um, you know, help us, help us understand what you've, what you've learned here, where you think we as a commission can take action to prevent this same thing from happening to others and maybe do this in a way, you know, tell us the story, start by explaining, maybe you can start by explaining when your company first noticed these conspiracies around Dominion voting machines, uh, when they were starting to take hold and become a, uh, central, central port of, uh, point of the big lie. Sure, well, uh, thanks for having me, Chris. Um, I guess where I'll start is ex kind of explaining what we do. We provide technology to election officials uh, who are ultimately accountable and have the authority to run elections across the country. In the United States, it's done on a distributed basis, uh, mostly at the county level. Um, and it's, it's these local officials that actually are accountable for running their elections. The thing that companies like Dominion do uh, is provide technology that helps election officials tally paper ballots. These paper ballots are created by voters uh, one way or another through pens or other assistive devices. And ultimately, it's these pieces of paper that voters verify themselves, they cast their ballots, and then they put them in the ballot box. And our technology simply just tallies those paper ballots. Um, the one thing that we have done, and it's been repeatedly shown uh, since this last fall's election, is our systems accurately tally paper ballots. Now, from, from, from our vantage point, it's not that unusual uh, that individuals that lose elections uh, look for other answers for their loss. Uh, it's certainly not the first time people have explained or tried to explain uh, their election results through falsehoods, um, a lot of which have been percolating uh, in the dark corners of the internet. Uh, what's new, frankly, for us uh, and for the entire 
elections community is how fast this disinformation spread and how quickly it escalated. So back in November, there was a real effort to undermine the results of the 2020 general election. So we had people like Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani uh, who told lies about us. They told lies about the history of our company, uh, about the jurisdictions that we don't even provide services to. Uh, and it was all part of this massive defamation campaign. Um, central to this campaign was the fact that their lies and lies of others were amplified uh, by institutions that have massive megaphones like Fox News and many other media outlets. Um, so these defamers throughout this entire process ignored all of the facts that they were repeatedly sent and shown. They ignored reports from bipartisan officials from across the country. Uh, they ignored the fact that Powell and Giuliani and others had zero credible evidence. And those are not my words. Those are the words of various judges from across the country, many of whom were appointed by Trump. And central to this is how far and fast it spread and the and the scope of the damage that it caused, it, it, incalculable economic damage to Dominion um, and in the process, uh, severely uh, impacting uh, our democracy. So, you know, as I think back, um, whether it was the late days of October or right around November 3rd, where the seeds were not just planting, but germinating and starting to, to, to sprout. And then really it was full bore uh, throughout November. And I think about um, Hammer and Scorecard and the Kraken and um, that, uh, that press conference uh, here in DC. I think that was on uh, the 12th. Um, or I, no, that was on the, yeah. the 19th, right? That Thursday. That's right. Um, so tell me, uh, it's not like these things are seared in my brain, much like I'm sure they're seared in yours those, those weeks. So tell me, what were some of the immediate steps that you took? You talked about the facts, right? So what does that mean that you get, that you were sending statements or commenting on the record or background? What were some of the immediate steps you took to combat the disinformation that was, that was polluting the ecosystem? Right. Uh, well, from, from our standpoint, we pushed back hard on setting the record straight. So we were providing facts uh, to not just the defamers themselves, the news media that were promoting them, uh, but everywhere we could to election officials. Uh, we were making it, pushing it to the public through our website. Um, the, the real problem though, Chris, is that the, the reach that, you know, our metaphoric meg med megaphone had is, was far less uh, than, than what the defamation campaign had uh, in the way of Fox News and others. Um, so uh, by putting out factual uh, information and, and frankly, third party uh, factual information by uh, institutions like CISA, uh, like the EAC, uh, like federally approved test labs, um, bipartisan election officials and the like, um, we, we took every step possible um, to mitigate the, the the enormous damage that they were they were causing to us, um, you know, what was completely unpredictable, and I never in a million years would have expected it, was just how the size of this uh, and the pervasiveness of their defamation. I mean, Chris, it's however many months is it seven or so months after the election, and it's just as bad today as it was in those in those days of November that you mentioned. 
Um, the impact that it's having for us, uh, for our employees is, is devastating. Um, I mean, you, you put aside the economic uh, devastation that it's caused our company for our election officials. Uh, we, we still have election officials across the country, uh, not just linked to Dominion, but any, any election officials that are being targeted, harassed, threatened. Uh, we have poll workers that uh, are, are, are reticent and reluctant to sign up for upcoming elections. Um, and it, it, it continues to take a, a massive toll um, far beyond the company yeah. uh, with, with our democratic system. So I, I definitely want to dig into the harms, um, but let, let's put that aside just for a moment. We'll swing back around to it in a few minutes. So let's let's kind of just close out on the tactical side of what Dominion, what you, what your your peers, uh, there were other companies involved, Smartmatic, for instance. What did you find tactically that worked? And, and maybe if it worked at one level, but not as it... Uh, a bigger level or, or you know, a, a broader uh, scale in, in what just flat out didn't work. And I think what where, from my experience at CISA, you know, what we thought worked was effective was, was rumor control, right? We had a website where we were taking a broad cross-section of uh, credible voices, the authoritative sources, whether law or the experts in the field, and presented that information, as you said earlier, it's factual, you know, read up yourself. Now, it worked to a certain extent, right? So when we're talking about uh, amplification across Twitter, uh, you know, the CISA uh, Twitter account only had 100,000 followers, and we didn't necessarily have a set of super spreaders on the other side that were amplifying. My own personal Twitter account, where I, you know, was perhaps a little bit um, more uh, aggressive in some of the messaging, well, I, you know, I had 10,000 followers. So tell me a little bit about, you know, what worked and at what point did it maybe stop working? Well, from my point of view, with the benefit of hindsight, it really depends on which segment of the uh, U.S. voter base that you're talking about. Um, so when you when you look at the harmful effects that this disinformation effect has really had in undermining trust of democracy, you're talking to a group of voters um, that will not look at your Twitter feed. And if they did, the, the second that you start speaking uh, verifiable truths um, and evidence, um, the type of evidence that is presented in courts, and we have a legal system to weigh, um, they, 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 they will start uh, blocking you, they'll 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 say you're part of the deep state, and that's really the the new dynamic that we're seeing with this in particular defamation campaign, and why it's so particularly dangerous. So I I frankly believe that there's tens of millions of people who continue to believe these lies. Um, they believe them because the purveyors of the lies um, are are the way that they said it. Their message resonated with these voters. These voters were emotional. Uh, they cared deeply about, about this election. And they were told in such a malicious way that those people believed uh, what, they were, what they were hearing from them and also from the news sources that were carrying them uh, and carrying their message as their own uh, from, from news desks um, and from very trusted officials on TV at Fox News and other, and other media uh, outlets. 
And in the process, they ignore the countless of reliable bipartisan, the nonpartisan fact checkers. So you mentioned the rumor control. Uh, I think that was one of the first things that was that was ignored and it was thrown out the window and is labeled as, um, you know, wh whatever they called it, rhino or deep state. Um, they have their own verbiage that discounts it. And it's these voters that continue to believe it that and that's how I measure the, the harm that this is having to our democratic institutions. Um, and it's it's devastating, uh, I think, for from a standpoint of our company, it's irreparable. Um, and I just hope that uh, through continued education um, and an, an unrelenting education platform of how we educate voters of the voting process, of the fact that there's paper ballots that are considered the gold standard simply because they can be hand counted and in a proper audit, hand counted by bipartisan officials with members of the public um, present and being administrated by actual experts that actually understand how elections work and how the process should be run. Um, so the truth, <laughs> you know, the, the truth in all this is that the systems have been proven accurate. Uh, if you look since November, we've been involved, our systems alone, not to mention our competitors, uh, our systems have been proven accurate in over 1000 hand recounts and audits since November about the November election. And this is why it's the gold standard, but um, it was the disinformation was so malicious uh, and so well targeted uh, that you have these voters that are continuing to believe it. So, John, you've you've these are the sorts of things that I can sit here and talk about for hours and hours and hours. Um, what we're seeing right now is uh, in states like Arizona are what has been described uh, generously as an audit. Um, but you and I both and every single election official out there knows that an audit is an established process with a series of best practices, accepted policies. I think the closest, you know, what, what a real audit, in fact, is what's happening in New Hampshire. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit more about what we think... Um, what, what do we need to do going forward? And, and how do we restore trust? You've touched on this about more transparency, more education. The, the thing that, that it, it really occurred to me, at least during the 2020 election, is that, is that there are some uh, election jurisdictions, states, counties, that are exceptional in their transparency, their communication skills, uh, and how they open up the process and bring the public in, not just into the voting process by voting, but into the voting process by participating and tracking and engaging and updating. I think those that are more of a black box open up the process to, to more of these conspiracy theories and questions. And then, you know, tying it back around to Arizona, there is an established audit process in Arizona. There were several audits that preceded this, uh, the, the current activity. So let, let's, you know, what is your take on what more the vendors can do um, what more election officials can do uh, to to build back trust, to create transparency, to open up the process to the voters? Sure. Well, well. First off, as it pertains to vendors of technology, I mean, it, it's pretty simple. We we don't make the rules. We don't make the regulations. Um, that's for legislators and government officials to do that. Uh, we we simply have the 
uh, have the job of complying and putting our systems through whatever third party testing um, the state official, state and local officials deem appropriate and necessary. So when you mention various jurisdictions having different levels of transparency, I, I don't think that that's something that was necessarily planned. Um, but frankly, just from an evolutionary standpoint of certain jurisdictions gained a lot of interest. So if you look at Florida, for example, in the aftermath of 2000, uh, there was a lot of public interest in how elections were run. Uh, and the group of election supervisors down in Florida, along with the Secretary of State's office, uh, did an exceptional job of, uh, of addressing the, the issues from a technological standpoint, from an audit standpoint, from a public transparency standpoint. If you look at what California did, California uh, recognized problems as, oh, you know, long goes 2004, for example, um, they came out with a sweeping new state standard for state certification uh, with complete with both red team and blue team testing. Um, they invite the public in uh, for public and logic and accuracy testing. Uh, they perform um, penetration tests fairly regularly. Uh, same with New York. And, and I think that what you're seeing is in some jurisdictions in some states, that interest just hasn't been there. Uh, the problems had, haven't, uh, haven't um, uh, manifested in prior elections. And so they haven't had the benefit of having gone through that. Um, in the state of Georgia, uh, which is a state that I know uh, a little about, if you look at how far they've come in such a short time frame, you, we talk about uh, official audits. Uh, the state of Georgia uh, recounted roughly 5 million paper ballots for the office of president uh, in complete view of media cameras, bipartisan uh, poll workers and officials uh, is extremely transparent. Uh, and it was, it's, that's simply just one of the hand count audits that I was referencing before. And, and I think, you know, that's what's so, so distinct about the official processes is that they say like in Georgia, like in Michigan with the the, the hand count they conducted up there. So, you know, in all over the country, it's election professionals say, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're hoping to achieve. And here's how long it's going to take. They tell you what they're going to do. And then they go do it. And then they allow, as I was mentioning earlier, the voters to participate by observing and tracking throughout the process. That to well, me... And, and Chris, if I let me interrupt, and, it, and and frankly, it makes sense. So if I'm going to tell you we're, we we want to audit a particular race, um, we're going to give you a stack of ballot. We're going to give you and four other bipartisan uh, poll watchers and and officials, uh, even members of the public. We're going to give you a stack of ballots, and and if you all agree that there's a vote for candidate one, put it in this pile. If it's a vote for candidate two, put it in this pile, et cetera, et cetera. And if you don't agree put it in another pile and we'll address them uh, as we go forward. That makes sense to everybody. And that's, you're, you're recounting what voters actually put down on their ballots. Um, what we're seeing in some of the other places just make no sense. And especially since they're not even telling you what they're doing and, and why they're doing it and what they hope to achieve for your point. Yeah. So let's, let's shift gears here. Um, you, you alluded earlier to uh, whether it's election officials getting uh, threats, your own employees, you personally, you know, look, I, you know, I've been there with you. Uh, what happened over the course of this election cycle with the threats that were 
directed towards officials that were just participating in the democratic process and, and trying to provide the, the mechanisms by which everybody can, can vote. Um, tell us a little bit about what, what sorts of harms has uh, this disinformation had on your company, on your employees, and what's the broader harm uh, in democracy going forward? You know, thinking about 2022, uh, 2024, are we going to see this all again? You know, what's, what's your take on, on where we are right now and some of the harms that, that have uh, been levied? Uh, well, with specific regard to the company, um, despite the fact that we did everything we could to mitigate the damage it caused us, uh, it's already been irreparable in, in scale. Um, it's increased the cost of doing business for us. Uh, it continues to reduce our market opportunity the reality, as we now have no choice but to accept it, is that we're just not going to get as many contracts as we used to. Um, you know, all that is afforded to us at this point is seeking justice in court, which you know I know you know about. Um, but it's something that I never would have predicted uh, eight months ago. Um, you know, as they say, when you're when you're going through hell, you keep going, and that's what we're doing. Um, but as it. Um, it, it, it's it's hard to quantify um, the the effect that it's had and how uh, emotional uh, it's been for not just you know the, the economic standpoint from the company but from an employee standpoint we have employees that have staked their reputations uh, on their work over 20 30 years um, and only to have now friends and family question that because of the defamation campaign which is a hundred percent based in in lies that were told knowingly with malicious intent. Um, I feel like there was another question in there. That well, I let, let's, so I, you know, I know how hard it is um, to talk about personally the, well, well, specifically the threats to persons. So the threats to your employees, the threats you re received, it's, it's an emotional issue. It's hard to talk about. And um, it, it, you know, where does it where does it end where does it stop and then there's the different kind of threats um and just the broader reputational harm and so you talked a little bit about that and i've read a number of your your filings uh in your defamation claims and, and i recall one there was a county um that that you know effectively said and I'm, if i get this wrong please correct me but you know we just can't do business with you anymore no one trusts uh, dominions can you tell us a little bit more about that if you're able to if you can't we can move on but I think it's an important part uh, to hit home that disinformation has um, longer impacts in terms of you know per perception of the the thing. Right. Um, well, what I can say about it is it, it we're living it every day. Um, it's it's these tens of millions of people, in my estimation, that continue to believe these lies that that put pressure. Um, by the way of calling, uh, complaining um, to election officials and their local election officials. And sometimes it's not even their local officials. It's you know officials from out of state. They don't even live there. And a lot of these people haven't even voted. Um, but notwithstanding that, uh, it's hard for a public election official and uh, the board that they report to to ignore that many constituents when they call in and they express concern, uh, usually something along the lines of, you know, the, the troubling issue with Dominion voting, weren't they the company uh, if, from November 2020? And you know, the fact of the matter is 
with the number of audits that we've gone through, the hand recounts and hand audits, uh, we are arguably the most vetted voting system uh, out there. And unfortunately, that's not what they're saying. Uh, they're repeating the defamation. And when they're told about it, um, these are the actual facts. And this is how elections in your county are run. Um, they say, well, we're still not, you know, we're still not sure and we're still not convinced. That's yeah, the, that's the, the illusion, right? The illusion of truth is you tell the lie often enough and eventually it becomes dogma. It becomes the, the perceived truth, particularly if it's promoted by, uh, you know, purported uh, credible, credible figures, uh, at least those that they look up to. And, 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 and I, that's the point. That, and that, that's the point. How do you how do you change that with people that you have no reach to? So um, it's got to be some along the lines of holding people to account, not if at a governmental level, at a societal level uh, for repeating falsehoods, things that are know knowingly false, um, repeated with, uh, with actual malice and uh, repeated on social media. It's, it's, we have to get to a culture of holding people to account that words matter and lies matter. You can't just uh, make things up uh, maliciously. Yeah, I, I, uh, I continue to look for, and I know we talked about this back back uh, earlier in the year, but you know, I, I look at problem sets linearly, almost like a systems engineer, and you look for those points of intervention. Uh, in cybersecurity, there's a kill chain, right? When an actor launches an attack, you have moments throughout the campaign where you can intercede, you can intervene, and you can disrupt. And, and that's, I think, that's a similar model that, that that I'm thinking through. And I'd be interested um, in, you know, I, I don't want to do the, the, the have, we, we're going to close out with a conversation of what, what would we have done differently? And let's, let's save that to the end. But in the meantime, what do you think those mechanisms are, those points of intervention in a broader disinformation operation and in an influence campaign where, where, you know, what, again, let's go back, kind of bring forward the what worked. Is it, is it the legal mechanisms or those not fast enough? Is it, a, is it a broad messaging campaign or is that not fast enough? I tend to think that it takes a village, right? It takes everyone, um, you know, credible authorities. It takes third parties. It takes a group though to come together. So again, just maybe just really quick, what, you know, again, what are those, those intervention points? It's um, a great you know. question. So, so we've tried several over seven months. I mean, we've tried everything, we've, as you know, uh, we sampled every expert we could find to try to change hearts and minds and put facts out there. Unfortunately, the reality, the way I've seen it and experienced it over the last seven months is there is no ultimate authority that every person, every citizen can look to and say, this is the absolute truth. Uh, whether we ever had that with the anchor at you know, CBS News or whatever news, you know, Walter Cronkite back in the day, uh, we clearly don't have it now. So you talk about, you know, kill chain. Um, what are you supposed to do, do you, when, when Fox is broadcasting um, a, a falsehood that they know to be false, um, that at best they're rec recklessly disregarding the truth? Do you, do you shut down the airing? I mean, you can't do that. When you talk about free speech, that's, that's, that's a central key part of our democracy. Um, it's our hope that our, our efforts in the courts will just strengthen the First Amendment, not hurt it. Um, because the fact of the matter is falsehoods are not protected. Um, 
you know, as they say, every single state has defamation laws. There's a reason why they have defamation laws. Freedom of speech, um, aside from it being a cornerstone of democracy, um, does not protect lying knowingly, uh, especially with malicious intent that causes actual harm. So um, if, there is, if, there is a, if there is a tool, a method, I haven't found it yet, Chris, and it's certainly not as it pertains to uh, this defamation campaign. Yeah, so let's 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 go ahead and bring that forward and 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 talk a little bit more. And you know, I've done the same thing as you, looking back and thinking through what more could you have done, what more could Smartmatic have done, what more could any of these other people that were harmed throughout the various forks or or branches of the disinformation campaign. And you bring up a, a really interesting point about freedom of speech. And what I've you know one of those things that I thought about was. Was there an opportunity to seek injunctive relief earlier on? And really where I'm trying to go with this is, is take some of your lessons learned and help other executives start building out playbooks about how they need to be thinking, you know, what a quick reaction team is, you know, is that was, you know, is that one of those levers that maybe you you could have pulled but didn't? Is it a lever that you you thought about, but it just wasn't there because of protected speech? You know, did you consider an injunctive relief, a temporary restraining order against uh, certain individuals, um, or was that just not politically uh, in the cards? Uh, I can't recall if we actually, I mean, we discussed so many different things with our legal teams in real time as it was happening. Um, but I can tell you one thing that I definitely remember is feeling that the the emotional need for uh um, candidates and their supporters when they lose elections. There is a, a very important part of the democratic process is to appeal your loss, uh, is to ask for recounts, it's to ask uh, the courts for relief and to go through uh, the transparent process that we have across the country. Uh, it was my uh, somewhat naive hope that this election was going to be the same as every other election that we've seen, uh, certainly that I've seen over the last 18 years, where when it comes to a hand recount, uh, the people that lose elections finally look to look in the mirror and they say, I guess we just didn't get enough people to vote for us. Um, this is the first time, certainly for me, that I've seen something, and I think for anybody, certainly uh, across the United States, that has seen something of this effect where uh, it went immediately uh, to accusations of fraud and uh, wrapped into a defamation campaign. So. In, in the, with the benefit of hindsight, we were very reluctant um, to play an active part in trying to get any kind of injunctive relief because we believe that uh, a great party should have a chance um, to state their case and to, and to pursue every avenue that is available to them under, uh, under our laws. Um, you know, you, you, you put this in the context as if I've learned something over the last seven, eight months in terms of what the playbook, we, we, our defamers continue to defame us. Yeah. They are making up new lies about us every single day, Chris. So uh, we have sent countless of letters to them stating uh, what they've said and explained to them how it's it, they, they are lies and the damage it's done and, and what the truth is. We've pointed to um, bipartisan independent sources for truth. Uh, and, and not only do they continue to do it, they continue to double, triple down. Like I've lost track of where we are. We're certainly well past tripling and quadrupling down uh, with a lot of the defamers. I mean, some of them have gone quiet and some of them have seemingly accepted the situation that they've caused for themselves. 
whereas as you know you know you fully well know that others have not and they continue to do it so if there's an answer i certainly haven't found it oh i i know i uh sometimes on the weekends when i find a, a spare 15 minutes or so i i will watch the latest video that's been posted by the the uh the 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 luminaries uh of the big lie and it's it's remarkable um they're they're just you know as i see it my words not yours um you know operating perhaps in a, in a different reality uh with a different set of facts and in and maybe even a different set of physics um, so i'll tell you on on that specific point i can't tell you how many messages i get uh from friends acquaintances uh, that, that are somehow making light of the situation. But I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that every time uh, these people or somebody new makes up something completely out of thin air, a complete lie uh, with complete reckless disregard for the truth, it has real impacts, not just to us. The economic damage to us has been massive already, um, but to local election officials. The amount of messages that we get from um, local state local and state officials every time some new lie uh, is presented in some dark corner of the internet and it spreads this is a real impact uh, for election administrators and it hurts our democracy it has a very very um, terrible effect on it from the standpoint of pe pretty soon people are not going to want to do the job and it's such an important job to do and you've already seen historic uh levels of retirements across the election administration community okay all right, John. So we're going to play off a point you just made about, um, you know, assuming you've learned something in uh, in this experience. Uh, I think we all have learned something. So what do you uh, how would you how would you um, this time next year? We'll just pick a date in the future and you have an opportunity to go talk to a group of your peers um, of CEOs in a diff in different industries. We, you know, disinformation as I see it, um, it's been here all along in the corporate sphere. It is much more active in other geographies around the world, uh, but we're act, we're absolutely seeing it right now in um, in the vaccine in the the COVID vaccine space. We've seen it in uh, with 5G. Look at look at what happened on Christmas Day down in Nashville, Tennessee, outside of the AT and T building. You know that was related to just technology and and 5G. So so what what is your what do you say to a CEO about how they need to be thinking about disinformation? You know, they've got cybersecurity investments, they've got PR investments, they have business continuity risks and, you know, international supply chain um, uh, resilience measures. But how do you, what do you, what would you say to them about their, their need to think about disinformation in advance? Uh, well, the first thing that comes to my mind, first and foremost, is the, the absolute need for them to be aware of how fast um, disinformation can spread and, and how it can catch like wildfire. Um, that if it, if, if it affects you uh, and you are part of a disinformation campaign, um, you have you know seconds to act um, and that might be too late. Um, the second thing that I'll say is, is get information and get the facts and the truth out there, um, even though people probably won't believe you um, foster relationships with government entities um, on frankly bipartisan in my case, or the, the more varying and, and the, 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 the higher number of 
independent experts uh, that can vouch for reality and the truth and get it out there and make it available to the public uh, for their consumption so they can actually understand um, is critical. And the enemy really is the, the pervasiveness of misinformation, how fast it spreads, especially on social media, um, and how given a preconceived bias, um, a personal bias to some effect, if, if there's a piece of disinformation that kind of strokes um, a pre-existing bias that a person might have, it's a deadly combination. And, and it's almost like you can't have enough facts uh, on your side uh, to try to battle that. So John, the, the shot clock is uh, running out on us here. And, and let's close up with, with uh, one final question and give us some quick thoughts. So the Commission on Information Disorder, it's, uh, we're looking to make recommendations uh, for government, platform, civil society, uh, that can have an immediate impact on the harmful effects of the information disorder, as long as, as well as longer term recommendations. Um, so based on your experience, are there, are there actions that government could take, that platforms could take, that, that the broader civil society community could take uh, that you'd like to see in the near future uh, or the long term to prevent these sorts of things to happen to others? In broad strokes, Chris, it would be creating a culture of responsibility and accountability, um, not just checks and balances at the individual level, but a systemic level um, across all avenues of possible amplification of these things. This is social, includes social media, uh, media outlets, um, and governments, uh, society, uh, individuals. Um, it, we, we need to foster an environment where we hold people to account who spread misinformation with malicious intent and do so knowingly. Um, and it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a fine line uh, because we have to uh, first and foremost respect free speech, uh, but, we all, but, but uh, uh, along that line we have to uh, be very mindful that the uh, free speech protections uh, don't protect uh, falsehoods. Yeah. So I think I think that was a uh, you know from as you said the broad strokes I think I think you're, you you cabineted up pretty well the way I think about it right is in government um, somebody needs to be looking out for these sorts of things a, a senior person a senior official that tracks it you know some evolution of what we were doing at CISA informed by other partners but then there are opportunities also I see it for the Election Assistance Commission and uh, perhaps others including the FCC and others to keep a keep a look at what's what's transpiring across the the uh, the airwaves and then on the platforms uh, you know policing their platforms from uh, these sorts of harmful activities and and you know we again we talked about super spreaders earlier and I think that's a, a way that, that that's an area we need to dive into because in elections it really came down to about a dozen to maybe two dozen individuals that promoted a lot of this and then you know lastly it, you know we as we as a society have to hold these, you know, our, our elected officials and those uh, that are seeking higher office uh, accountable. And um, there's, I think there's still a pretty long tail on that story. So, so with that, uh, John, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for coming on and, and participating in our uh, uh, disinfo discussions. You've been through quite a lot the last uh, last year uh, year or so, and. You know, as I sit here and look at the date that we record this, it's uh, seven months from the day that I was relieved from command over at CISA. And 
you know, we, you know, a lot's changed in that seven months, but it's good to see you continuing the fight. So thanks again for contributing and, and uh, you know, good luck. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Always good talking to you, Chris.